everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have been on the show, or they're returning for a rejoinder. A rejoinder is a half-sized episode brought to you by the people who give me money on Patreon every month. And if you'd like to be one of those people, too, you can go to patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe, or... If you'd like to support the show, but a subscription-based thing isn't something that's feasible for you, paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe is something that's pretty good also. For this rejoinder episode, we talk to A.S. Coomer, who's returning from... Oh, geez, last time on the show, he was my first interview of 2019, so it's been a while for him. We talk about his new book through Grindhouse Press, Birth of a Monster, but he has more books out. Links are in the show notes. A.S. Coomer is a writer and musician. His work has appeared in over 60 literary journals, magazines, anthologies, and the like. He was commissioned a Kentucky Colonel in 2019. Books include Memorabilia, The Fetishists, Shining the Light, The Devil's Gospel, Flirting with Disaster, and Other Poems, The Flock Unseen, and more. He writes and performs as a solo artist as well as with his family band, The Coomers. Now, without further ado, Let's get in to my conversation with A.S. Coomer. One of the things that pops into my mind whenever I read extreme horror is wondering how self-conscious the author is about the content. Um, what, there were, there's been lots of things I haven't written myself because I'm afraid of how people will react to it, whether that's not writing something that's like too personal or something too horrifying or whatever. Um, And so with Birth of a Monster, with 600 pages of, of almost nonstop gruesome content, is like, I don't know, is 2021 internet something that is in your mind while you're writing that? Yeah, I mean, you know, even with like the fetishists, I've been accused of torture porn, but even that mm. book has passion. Uh, like Birth of a Monster has a message too. Um, and so, you know, setting up that character and how America shapes these monsters was really kind of paramount to the book. So I couldn't shy away from the dark stuff. Right. Stuff. I had to go yeah so so that's an interesting point that the uh how America shapes the monsters because I kept I've, I've only read a few novels that follow around serial killers and most of them have been American Psycho style um the main character is almost empty uh whereas Birth of a Monster like you definitely see the alternatives for how things could have played out and you just kind of instead get a perfect storm of you know all of the wrong things happening at all of the wrong times yeah that's for sure um and you know like i tried to set it up with that parallel between the um the the detective and uh the monster to kind of show how similar backgrounds aren't necessarily going to breed the same thing, but there's always the possibility in this really violent American landscape for monsters to spring. Mm-hmm. The The interesting thing about the detective is that she doesn't really come in until halfway through the book. Um, yeah. I was curious about that choice. 
Well, um, the book was actually two books. Hmm. Um, the, the first one was called In Utero, um, and the second one was called The Way a River Is. And uh, after writing both of them and editing both of them and sending them over to Grindhouse to look at, I just kind of thought it it worked better to just combine them hmm. into one big, massive book, which, you know, there's, there's pros and cons for that, too, with the book that big printing costs go up and you know, I'm always kind of afraid that's going to keep a lot of people from reading it but at the same time the book had to be one for the the effect to work the the length was an interesting thing so knowing that it's it's two books or was two books at first um put into one kind of answers the question but this is definitely the longest like straight ahead prose book I've read in a long time like I think since reading like some of the more urban fantasy Clive Barker stuff a couple years ago. And certainly, you know, compared to the stuff I have on the show, a lot of the longer books I have on the show is, you know, more formally experimental and and not just like chunky. Here's a book the way you expect a book to read. Um, yeah. But also very long. Um, I'm. What is your relationship to length because uh the other two books i've read of yours which had very different subject matter um were about the same length shining the light and the fetishists were kind of similar too um so yeah so what is your relationship to book length well i've noticed that with each of my stories they're they're typically getting longer um first drafts are getting longer and i think that's because i've set aside more and more time for it um mm. I don't have to be so brief in the process. I can really take my time because I spend nothing but my day but writing, you know? Like my whole day is is devoted to it. And that gives me a lot of time to stretch out and tell the story the way I think it needs to be told instead of like an abbreviated version um, that you end up coming up with when you don't have the time. Hmm. Is there a confidence that comes to with having had several books out already that you kind of don't have to worry about Am I adding in things that don't need to be added in? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, with each finished project, you definitely carry over a little bit of confidence from it, and then you bring something new to the new work. Uh, length uh, is not really something that I tend to dwell on. Um, mm. It's usually a product of the work. Um, I tell the story the way it needs to be told, and I follow a loose outline. Um, so it's really hard to gauge the length. It just kind of ends up happening. That's interesting to me because all of the book length projects I've finished have had set either word count or page length um, like uh, requirements set by me for me. So, Because it almost seems for me like if I don't give myself a point in the future at which I'll end... Um, I'll either fall off because I lose interest or I'll get like overwhelmed with the possibilities of, you know, of creating an entire universe on paper that it like overheats my brain and I'll have to stop. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, the perks 
of having a loose outline to work on. You've got a general idea of where the story's going. Um, it's about fleshing it in where I leave a lot of leeway. Mm. So I kind of know how the story is going to end, but it's really about working towards it. Um, yeah. So that's where the difference is then. Yeah, I, the, yeah, I don't plan I at all. I didn't used to write uh, from an outline like fetishist shine the light rushes deal. We're not outline books. Hmm. Uh, memorabilia was my first uh, loose outline book. And then from there, I found that process really more enjoyable. There's not that panic um, when you sit down in front of the, the laptop, like, oh, shit, what do I got to write today? You know, mm -hmm. you've kind of got a general idea of what you're going to do. So the prep work beforehand really makes the work go a little bit smoother. Hmm. Okay. So that, that makes an awful lot of sense to me then. And that, that, clears up so with birth of a monster specifically um what what was the the inspiration for writing that book just looking around and seeing how america treats people that aren't white and male especially the treatment of women there's so much violence and it's so ingrained into american society that you know it's it's just one of those things that I felt I needed to talk about because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm. You know, every time you turn on the news, there's a, a domestic violence story. There's, a, you know, always something going on. And then my background in social work showed me a, the seedy underbelly of society, you know, how people treat women and children. Mm. Uh, it was one of those things that I knew I had to get around to, but I kept putting it off because it's such a hard subject matter to address. And for Birth of a Monster, I really had to go to a really dark place for a long, long time to get that book right. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, that was that's a book I don't think I would write again because <laughs> the experience of it was just so harsh. The thing I found uh, almost incriminating while reading it was gauging my reaction to some things versus my reaction to other things and then questioning why so at the beginning um without spoiling too too much there's animal cruelty at the beginning which becomes human cruelty and goes from being more personal to less personal um which is sort of the serial killer arc just mm -hmm. in general and so I kept checking myself with like, okay, so the first part, like, how do I feel about that? And then how do I feel about this? And then how do I feel about this? And why is it that I'm more upset about, you know, the animal stuff, like viscerally really upset about it than I am, you know, kidnapping women from a Planned Parenthood? Because at the time I'm sitting next to both my dog and my wife all reading it. And why am I not looking over to my wife the way I look over to my dog when certain things yeah. are happening in the book? Like it was, I don't know. I think one of the really powerful things about what horror can do is make you question your own reactions to things. And that was one of the goals of the book. You know, it's a, uh, there's a dehumanizing aspect in American culture to a lot of groups um, and women, especially, uh, but like the, you're right, the serial killer arc does involve so many things that have to happen to breed these monsters. You know, there's always the torture of animals. There's always the setting of fires. There's there's always the loveless broken home uh, and all that. 
And then we all had these different preconceived notions about what those things look like. And so I just tried to put it together and show how we actually make these monsters. Mm -hmm. I think you did quite a good job with it. There, again, there, there were lots of times where it was like, oh man, you know, like taxidermy is a thing that well-adjusted people do. You know, there, <laughs> there's people who, who, you know, are, are good people who do taxidermy and even go out and trap their own animals to use in taxidermy. And there's well-adjusted people who hunt and there's people who make disturbing art sculptures who are well-adjusted too. Like there's so many points at which, uh, there could have been a diversion and I suppose your, your, your background in social work, I don't know. I suppose you've seen things like that. I also found, I don't know, like it, it seemed almost like there was a criticism of the social work, um, in the book. Like it, it didn't seem, I don't know, charitable, I suppose to social workers and, and the system, you know, the foster care system. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a system with its, with its own problems. You know, I've worked in it for a long time. I've seen it work and I've seen it a lot of times definitely not work, you know, and that's not all chalked up to the social worker. There's a lot of really good social workers, um, but there's also some mediocre social workers. And then there's some problems that just require uh, more resources than the system has to offer. Hmm. Um, and that, that would be the case of somebody like, like a, the monster and birth of a monster. Mm-hmm. So then do you feel that birth of a monster offers or hints at solutions to these problems or is it more just a, a spotlight? I mean, you can, it's definitely a highlighted uh, problem. You know, it, it shows the most extreme example of how wrong things can go. And so with something like that, you can, you can always pick up uh, lessons from it. I mean, like people looking back at Germany uh, mm. during World War II can pick up lessons about how people rise to power, uh, stuff like this. I mean, so like Birth of a Monster shows. I tried to make it the most realistic portrayal of how this this can happen, um, and I think I was I'm pretty close to getting it right. And you can pick that apart and see all the different things that that would take to to break a person enough to be able to break other people, um, like you can justify just about anything in America with religion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big portion of the book too. And uh, some people can just choose to, to use religion that way. Like, you know, it's, they can just acclimate themselves into like, well, I want to do this. How can I justify it? Maybe they're doing this on a subconscious level, but you know, they're still making that choice. The, uh, the religion part was really interesting as there's the parts where where he flips to a random page in the Bible, and for some reason, my inner high school teacher was like, "Do we really believe that he's flipping to a random page, or is he flipping?" Because there are, there are a couple points where he flips to a page, reads a passage, and it doesn't apply, and so he tries again. Yeah. Um, but I mean, heck, the Bible's a big book, so yep. there's an awful lot of passages in there that can be read in awful lot of different ways. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of illustrated that, like, uh, if you want to be able to justify something, uh, I mean, you'll find a way to do it. He he really wanted to inflict harm, and he wanted a way to justify it to himself, and he found it. Mm -hmm. The whole, 
you know, God made me in his image and this is what I feel pulled to do. So, yeah. I mean, and people don't like me. People didn't like Jesus either. So must be doing something yeah. right. It, it's, uh, I mean, even politically, you, you see the, the people who are like, oh man, you know, if, if the liberals are mad at me, I must be doing something right. Sort of, yep. sort of thing. Yep. Um, how, how acquainted with the Bible are you? Uh, was it pretty easy to find the quoted uh, things for you or do you have to do a decent amount of research? It's a mixture of both. Um, in a previous novel, I wrote The Devil's Gospel. Um, I also dealt with religion and how you can justify things with it again and there. Um, so, you know, I've been picking up the Bible and skimming it for the last couple of years um, just for book projects. But before that, you know, uh, I didn't really grow up religious. I just grew up in the Bible Belt. So religion's always all around. So I've always been kind of tangentially, you know, inundated by it. So, I mean, I would say I'm pretty familiar with the Bible. I'm not a scholar, but I know enough right. to know that I avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The other large part of the book, and I don't know if it's just because I was reading the first half slower than the second half, but I have never had so much anxiety over my own continents as I have reading your book. Like, <laughs> the... It's, it's almost absurd the amount of shitting themselves people do in this book and like it doesn't seem out of place and I, I, I don't know I, it's just something that really sticks out to me for whatever reason yeah it's uh you know the the first half would read a lot slower because I mean that's the building that's the building mm -hmm. block of the monster and that's that's going through all the childhood trauma which is always difficult to read about um, and then the you know the factors that that typical serial killers have all that stuff had to go into it and none of that shit is fun to read you know <laughs> right but I tried I tried my best to dress it up and make it make it flow so it's not so bogged down mm -hmm. it didn't feel um like a slog or anything like everything that was in there seemed like it you know needed to be in there I I don't know P pacing in books is an interesting puzzle you know I, I think people kind of pick at pacing an awful lot um and I don't know I haven't cracked that code um for like how I want to do pacing nor for like how you know I think other people should do pacing I, I generally enjoy when people can make a moment last very many words um and there's there's certainly parts in Birth of a Monster like that too, um, but yeah, pacing's a tough nut to crack, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, the first half of the book um, kind of sets things up for the second half of the book to go running downhill. Mm -hmm. um, and with 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 a project this long, you kind of fall into the pacing. You know, it's like running long distances. You know, it's hard initially but once you find your rhythm things start to work out right and once you add in the detective um the alternating helps make it at least feel um like you're doing two different things i guess so you know if you're 
curling a dumbbell 15 times, it feels a lot longer than if you're curling it five times and then doing five squats or something like that for three sets. Yeah. Um, I suppose going, going on with that, just, um, Um, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, if, if there were other literary sources you were inspired by or pulled from kind of thematically. Uh, you know, I read a whole bunch for this book, but I didn't really have one book that kind of spawned it. You know, my reading, I read a whole bunch about serial killers. Um, you know, like, and I read some, some, some fiction too. Like you mentioned American Psycho, um, Mm -hmm. You know, then I read a bunch of true crime, um, history of serial killer stuff. And I did a whole bunch of individual serial killer uh, research projects to kind of figure out what made them tick and how they did it. So there's not really one book, but I can give you a whole list of sources if you mm-hmm. if you want. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm realizing now that because I follow you on Goodreads, I can, like, tell oh, yeah. when you were writing this book now. Like, yeah. And I was like, man, he's reading a lot of true crime stuff. Have you developed any sort of substantial um, opinion on true crime? I feel like there's, you know, a hot take and a half that that everybody seems to have on true crime. But do you have anything like kind of substantial about it that you've decided after consuming so much for this project? You know, true crime is you just it. It's like that thing that um, it's like that pop song on the radio you can't get out of your head. Mm. Um, uh, it's it's like a fascination thing. You don't, you're almost hypnotized by how degraded we can be, how depraved we could be, and you can't. It's like watching a train wreck or something. You can't look away from it. Um, you know, and a lot of people in the true crime genre, uh, it almost seems, I don't know, uh, malicious how they work, like to to benefit to reap benefits off something um that was so terrible ruined so many lives and these people are making money off of it so there's always that involved um but you know i don't really have any qualms with with the genre or anything uh a lot of people like it you know it's 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 good to gold mine from sometimes to get glean little little things that serial killers do maybe like different parts of their MO or something that you can kind of incorporate into whatever project you're working on. But you know, true crime is not like my, my typical go-to mm-hmm. it, it is for a project like this because reading fictionalized accounts of serial killer didn't really want to, I didn't really want to do that because I didn't want to actually co-op somebody's fictionalized serial killer, you know, but the real people who fucking did terrible things, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. I don't feel so bad about, doing that especially in a project like this where the goal wasn't to shock and you know to, to just put out a book of torture porn there's a message in birth of a monster and and to highlight it i kind of i kind of mine some true crime books sure yeah i i think i would say at least that that you did a good job of having things not be you know shocking for shocking's sake um I mean, because obviously there's stuff in there that, you know, is uncomfortable. Um, but I don't know. I feel like everything has a justification. Like, there's, like, what he does with the sculptures is pretty horrifying. Um, and 
because the pacing is moving, we're not quite like, I don't know, and maybe even because he doesn't have the justification to himself. Um, but like with like the Rodney Tackett character, we have, we kind of understand what, what he's doing and why, uh, to Rodney. Um, but like as he gets more unhinged it becomes harder and harder to understand like what exactly the the point of of doing what he's doing with the sculptures is um i also found myself just like not questioning it though like okay if that's what he's doing that's what he's doing he's like too far away from you know as far as i would ever be able to see myself going yeah there's a you know there was this uh symbolic fatherhood involved with the sculptures you know after mm -hmm. he was sterilized through a a bullying incident um and once he turned his his heart to religion in his black-hearted way um the the sculptures became his way of shepherding what he views as as these innocent souls in these sinful bodies of these women and he could shepherd them on and be their father and send them to their to heaven mm -hmm. while at the same time ridding the world of these sinful women sure yeah and i like that's the thing is like i i understand that at like a intellectual level um but it's really hard to get there emotionally i suppose whereas you know just getting back at your bully is, is I feel like every lonely person has ever thought about getting back at their bully. I feel I just read a, a a headline that said that like bullied kids have like way higher incidents of violent thoughts um, than non-bullied kids. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like the setting too is because I know you're you're from Kentucky, right? That's right. Okay, so that area is something that you're familiar with i feel like there's been a lot of dark media that has come out of that part of the country lately like with ozark and um the recent discourse over hillbilly elegy um yeah what's your relationship to that part of the country yeah i love kentucky um and i think it's you know it's a, it's a really beautiful place but I mean, it's still in the Bible Belt, and the Bible Belt is just this melting pot of fucked upness. Uh, so I mean, like in Kentucky, there is a single abortion clinic left. So I mean, that's that's factually accurate in the book. I mean, I changed the name and that sort of thing. But I mean, that's this is the kind of landscape that I live in, to where like women cannot get the health care that they should have a right to have. I mean, there's a dehumanizing aspect. Of, of the Bible Belt in, in regards to women. Mm. And that, I think that's part of the setting. You know, you have to kind of know and understand that this is this is the soil in which we live on, is this, this dehumanizing, weird worshiping of violence and dominance. And, you, you know, like, and I wanted to also touch on, like, uh, like Dominion House in the book, you know, like mm. the West, Oral Baptist church style thing. I mean, there's there's churches in Kentucky that are just as bizarre. Mm. You know, uh, kind of it was kind of one of those broad scope things to put it in Kentucky because it's it's what I know. But mm -hmm. it's also 
I can I can totally picture Kentucky making this, you know, making this evil person. Mm. Not to say that Kentucky's full of terrible people, but you know, Kentucky can be that perfect storm. Sure. You know, all all of the ingredients are here. Right. Yeah. The the opioid addiction and and religion mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I've I've mentioned the on the podcast multiple times that that part of my job is is having to screen calls for a a very conservative uh radio show and you know michigan has its own set of uh quirks and you know it's still the midwest and the midwest is its own beast too but it's strange some reading this book was almost like looking in the future for for my home region too like seeing you know what people who vote are starting to value more than other things and seeing but wait a minute these these other things that are getting left behind or like the using of children for political pawns or as Mm -hmm. political pawns and, and things like that. I yeah. did. I did find the the lack of um, politics, you know, like outside of of the religion. Um, I guess I noticed that missing there, but I guess maybe that just like wasn't part of of his thought process as he grew into adulthood that it like kind of just passed him by yeah i mean when you think about a lot of these these people who are who feel so powerless um you know whether it's through joblessness or or orphan that kind of thing uh there's you know there's this sense of unsecurity involved and a lot of people think politics is again something that they can't control it's just another thing that that exists that they have no control over and i picture him uh just avoiding politics because he couldn't use it to justify what he wanted to do Mm. um as as quickly or as easily as say religion you know that makes sense then the the one thing I haven't been able to to figure out how to formulate a question about the last line in the book because it stuck with me really hard. So just as as a writer, like, uh, you know, writing, writing endings and and picking that last line was was that in there for a while or was that just like kind of natural? part of the process that that just felt good to end on i mean that was kind of the encapsulation of the book in a line Mm -hmm. um first line and the last line of this book are what i always remember from it um and it was you know it was it was that it was kind of like the well here it is in case you didn't fucking get it Mm -hmm. (laughs) one more time you know